I've got this weird one today. Samsung reportedly seeking compensation because Apple isn't selling enough iPhones. What a weird headline that is. For those of you that don't know, there are a number of Samsung components that make their way into other brands' smartphones, probably none more so than Apple's smartphones. Apple, they don't make OLED displays. They, they got to buy them from somewhere. And up until this point, it's been mostly from Samsung themselves. And because Apple is such a, a big player in the space, they, they move so much volume of smartphones. Uh, when, they, when they're going to put out a new model and they're going to include OLED technology from Samsung, Samsung needs to know roughly how, how much uh, volume they're going to need to produce to meet the sales volume on Apple's end. And so they set up contracts and agreements in advance of these new models coming out so that they can then go tool up the factories, in some cases even create new factories to meet the demand requested from Apple themselves. And, and we, we don't necessarily get to see how these contracts work, but you can get a sense for the commitments that take place on either end uh, after the fact, in retrospect. And that's kind of where we're at right now. So it's been reported here on this channel as well as elsewhere that the premium end of the smartphone market has been getting a bit soft uh, or flat at the very least. And one of the companies most affected, Apple, with their latest release, the 10s, 10s Max, not necessarily meeting the expectations for sales figures. Tim Cook has said that there's, there's a number of reasons for it. He stated people repairing their old phones, uh, softness in the China market. But in general, there's a lot of people that just think there's a, a certain amount of fatigue in the smartphone market, as well as uh, uh, a reluctance to spend the astronomical uh, uh, sales figures necessary price figures, sorry, necessary for these premium smartphones in the range of the iPhone XS. So anyhow, in this case, it seems like Apple had a deal with Samsung to purchase a certain number of OLED displays. A report from ET News says this, the Samsung display seeks compensation amounting to hundreds of billions of won, which uh, that's local currency. It converts to hundreds of millions of dollars. So like a fairly large sum of money here. Apple had reportedly agreed to acquire a certain quality of a uh, certain quantity of panels from Samsung Display, but then failed to meet those numbers. Samsung Display and Apple have been negotiating the matter, but have yet to agree on terms. So Samsung apparently invested in a display facility that would exclusively cater to the production of Apple specific OLED panels for their new smartphones, uh, what they're calling the sixth sixth generation flexible OLED which requires a very specific type of manufacturing process. And in order to make matters more efficient, Samsung goes and creates this facility capable of producing 100 million OLED iPhone screens each year. Now, that doesn't necessarily tell us what the volume commitment was on Apple's end. It just tells you that the facility is capable at 100% capacity of making 100 million of these displays in a year. It's a lot of OLED panels which would amount to a lot of smartphones. Now, production at that plant fell to under 50% of capacity as demand for iPhones remained sluggish, according to this report in front of me here. So Samsung then sits there and says, well, we have all of this uh, underutilized production 
possibly raw materials in place to meet the criteria that you committed to beforehand. And we want some sort of compensation to make up for the fact that we're going to lose money on this deal. Now, there's not a lot of solutions for it, right? There's not a lot of other places Apple can look for the supply of these OLED displays. Most in the industry, people like myself, uh, analysts and so forth, seem to agree that Samsung has the, the premium OLED panel in the smartphone space. You'd expect that Apple's kind of tied to them so long as they want to use OLED. And the market is so competitive right now, especially in the premium segment, that OLED is a must. So they're kind of in bed with each other regardless. But the question comes, like, if Apple doesn't agree to, to some level of compensation, could, could Samsung cut them off? Of course, you never want to cut off your customer. They're probably not going to do that. And the way Apple's looking at it is like, look, we're the best customer you got. So you better ease up and we'll get you back on the next one. Maybe that's the angle that they're going from. But anyway, at the moment, it appears there's some degree of dispute. Now, another interesting twist, little twirl on this particular story here. The capacity of, of that particular plant may be capable of producing OLED displays for other devices outside the realm of smartphones. So a lot of Apple fans have been waiting for OLED to make its way into iPads and laptops as well. There's a, the rumored 16-inch MacBook supposedly on the horizon, which may include one of these OLED displays. Of course, an OLED display on a laptop, much bigger than an OLED display on a phone and presumably more difficult to manufacture because of that. So maybe there's a way around it there. If, if Apple can expedite the process of moving to OLED uh, in its in the other areas of its product line, then uh, then then maybe you can meet this capacity that Samsung is looking for. Though Will's just showing me a report here stating that the 16-inch MacBook book may very well just be another TFT LCD uh, made by LG. So as you could tell, Apple they like to distribute their uh, um, suppliers whenever possible, purchasing some displays from LG. Of course, they didn't go with OLED in the iPhone 10R claimed they had this very fancy LCD in that as well. So it, it makes sense for them to distribute their risk as well and not rely only on one singular supplier. But I think this kind of news here, it does seem to indicate that the capacity exists for greater OLED production. And therefore, there's a possibility for some compromise and potentially for this capacity to map out into more OLED products for yourself with an Apple logo on them. That could happen, maybe not immediately, but possibly in the future. This could be an indication into, like I said, potentially an OLED iPad, maybe a laptop eventually, uh, or maybe the budget model, which I've heard this rumored as well. The 10R equivalent of the next generation iPhone may be moving away from this uh, latest Retina LCD. What do they call, what do they call the LCD on this new 10R? Um. Was, it, was it, they had a special name uh, trying to imply that their LCD was a step above all the rest of the LCDs. It's not really important, but I think they called it like Retina LCD or something. Maybe not. Maybe I just made that up. OLED's better, so it doesn't really matter. Everybody seems to agree OLED is the future, so never mind LCD anymore. Although, on the laptop front, oh, liquid Retina. There you go. You got it, Will. Speedy, Will. Back in the chair. Always so. You didn't want to let that one go, did you? <laughs> no. 
no, no. You were I like, knew there was a name for it. You, yeah, you, and you and were I like, you know what? Weird name. So, so did you know there was a name as well, or did you just trust my? I knew there was a name. Y you knew it yeah. too. Yeah. So you weren't giving up. Yeah. Now here's the question: If uh, if you weren't sitting there, would Jack have gotten here? I think so. Jack, do you I mean, agree with that? I mean, this is the main site. You agree with that? He, or he would would you have gotten to this liquid retina term or would you have given up? You wouldn't even tried. <clears throat> Maybe even... Tell the truth, Jack. Uh, I don't know. I'm not he would have given up. <laughs> he just admitted it. He just admitted it. So just to put a, put a check beside Will's name on this one. Right, Jack? <clears throat> That's fair. Okay. So anyway, uh, liquid retina, they call it. It, it. It's an LCD display. They say it's the most advanced LCD in the industry in the case of the iPhone XR, but, but the rumor right now is that the entire lineup will go OLED. If not in the next generation, then the following one. And, and it's just, obviously, as we know, there are certain attributes you can't recreate in an LCD that you get out of an OLED, so it makes sense to eventually go that direction, even though they appear to use a little more battery. This XR, currently the best battery performer of any iPhone. Uh, remember yesterday we were talking about this uh, Huawei FedEx situation. Well... FedEx has kind of come back with a weird move here. FedEx is suing the U.S. government over Huawei confusion. It says it can't inspect every package for export violations. So FedEx isn't even happy about the situation. Of course, we covered this yesterday, how a P30 Pro trying to go from the U.K. to the U.S. offices for PC Mag never made it, got sent back. And uh, they, they were citing some sort of uh, the issue relating to the ban instituted via the executive order in the U.S. But it was so vague. It was like, who made this call? Who's complying with what? Is FedEx making the call? Should FedEx be put on an entity list within China? That was a threat. There was like this thought that there might be retaliation against FedEx on the Chinese side that maybe FedEx was doing, doing, doing some work on behalf of the U.S. government. Now you find out FedEx isn't even, they're not even buying into it. Also, people were mad that we cited this Huawei Fax Twitter account. They're like, uh, well, all of a sudden, this is propaganda now, what we're doing, because we cited this. Uh, it is a bad name, I think, for a Twitter handle, mm -hmm. implying that nothing else is fax. This is the only place to get right. Huawei Fax. Right. It's a bit rude, in fact, but uh, no, the, the reason we were citing this yesterday, because I thought it was odd that Huawei was using Twitter for these kinds of official claims is an odd place to put it was FedEx within its rights to prevent a P30 Pro. Like that's something you're used to seeing in a, in a, on a news site's Twitter account. Uh, not very common to see that coming from an official branded hardware company's account. So that's the reason we cited it. I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying facts on one side or the other. I'm not telling you what your facts are. You gotta, there's a lot of information you gotta sift through. You gotta get into the filing cabinets to get to the bottom of this situation, mm -hmm. like a detective. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even know. Every day it's some next thing that's getting uncovered. Uh, so we're lucky. We got the crack team. We got Kirk on the ones and twos. We got Willie Do with the red light. And of course we got Jack who's got shorts on today. He looks more comfortable than anyone else here. So, I mean, and even us, we're just cracking open the filing cabinet. Yep. Although that would be fun to do in reality. Imagine investigating a case, get the file out. Yeah. With yo. the paper clips. 
I think on this desk, I need a file with paper clips and like confidential on the outside. Dick Tracy. I love Dick Tracy growing up. He had the watch. He had the first smartwatch. And uh, you had the Tommy gun, the live action movie. He was on Skype on the watch before anyone else. Mm. Never mind FaceTime. The yellow jacket. I mean, unbelievable. He was the gadget guy. I loved any uh, fictional character who was the gadget guy. So I think it's why I loved Batman, right? Dick Tracy was in the same space. I don't have to tell you about Inspector Gadget, even though he was a goof, obviously. That was kind of endearing because of it, to be honest. But really, the genius in Inspector Gadget is, uh, what's her name? Uh, Penny. Penny. Like she, nothing gets done without Penny. But that was a theme. That was a trend amongst the cartoons of that era. Is like, it was this, the hero wasn't the one you expected to be the hero. Like it was always. Remember we were talking about the Ninja Turtles the other day. How it's like, the leader, and Raphael, and then it's like somebody had to talk him down. It was always, you know. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. Inspector Gadget, early days, Lou. That's all you need to know. I, I just realized something, though. He's got a similar coat to Dick Tracy, which therefore showcases to be into gadgets, you got to have a coat like that. So who knows what I'm looking like tomorrow, Will? I don't know. Maybe, it's, uh, maybe I got to pick one of those up. Anyhow, FedEx, they're backing off the whole thing. They're like, we're not with anybody here. Like, get off our back. Jeez, this is difficult. We're, you're putting us in a weird spot. They're going to sue the U.S. government. They don't want to be inspecting this package. They just want to ship stuff. At least that's the way it sounds based on the reports that came out today. FedEx filed a lawsuit against the U.S. Department of Commerce on Monday over restrictions that Trump reg regime, the Trump regime, has put in place against the Chinese telecom giant Huawei. FedEx, which has gotten into trouble with Huawei for misdirecting some of the tech company's packages lately, says it shouldn't have to make sure that newly prohibited technology doesn't get shipped to Huawei offices. So... The story that we reported on wasn't the only one. There was also like weird stuff that was getting, was supposed to go from point A to B and it was making a stopover in the US to be inspected. And they were mad about that too. And again, FedEx making a claim that they were being instructed to do this based on that original order that came all the way from Trump administration. So FedEx is like, don't put us on blast. Don't put us in the middle. That's what this seems to indicate to me. They're saying, we're not just going to, we're not just out here uh, going to accept this order that's been put in place, even though it's coming from the highest highest level. They just want to deliver these things. And it's probably a big headache for them, all this press coming out about their unwillingness to do so. You think about it, Will. You're a shipping company. <laughs> you, what, you won't be known for getting packages where they're supposed to go. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be known for... Uh, sending things to alternative destinations you don't want to be known for stopping things uh you, you don't want to be known for return to sender that's a bad look uh rerouting things to places they weren't intended to it's a bad look mm -hmm. will you just want to you want people to know if they send something with you it's getting to where it's going regardless of what the product says on it so long as it's not a completely illegal substance right Is that a uh, castaway, castaway reference with the FedEx ads in Castaway? It's a little much. It was some early product placement. It was heavy. 
It was heavy. I still remember it to this day. I can't think about that movie without thinking about the FedEx symbol. I have nightmares. Yeah. So, but can you blame him? I mean, everyone was doing it. Kirk was showing off the the Pacino clip yesterday, trying to mess me up, trying to give me nightmares on that one. The Pacino dunk Dunkachino, which was from a movie, and it was a very bizarre product placement. There's not much you can do about it. But anyway, what does this showcase? I guess it showcases that companies are willing to take a stand against the U.S. Commerce Department. FedEx now, probably the most high profile at this point, that's kind of saying, hey, I don't know. We're not necessarily with it. We're not necessarily for it. Now you start to wonder if you get enough on that list, if Google does the same thing or Microsoft or whoever else, is that enough force to potentially change things? Probably not, not at the exact moment, but it's, a, it's an indication of a, of a sentiment that might not be as nationalistic on the U.S. side as you might expect. You may have expected, depending on where you line up politically, you may expect FedEx to say, yeah, damn right, that's what we're doing. You're not going to get your package in here, Huawei, but that's not what they're saying. They're saying, hey, we're a global brand, and we don't want to be known for this. We don't want to bear the brunt of this. We're sick of this bad press. That's the angle they're taking. FedEx said in a statement Monday that the U.S. Export Administration regulations violate common carriers' rights by making delivery companies liable for shipments that may violate U.S. restrictions. FedEx is a transportation company, not a law enforcement agency. Willie Do highlighted that aspect. He highlighted that quote. He went to CNN Business. He highlighted that quote. You see that? All right. So <clears throat> I'm curious where UPS stands or like DHL. I'm sure they're going to be know. the same. I'm sure no. If you are a transportation company, as they state in this, uh, in this quote right here, you want to get your packages where they're going. It's your utmost. It's your product. Yeah. You want to be known for it. You want to be known for speed, convenience. It's competitive like any other marketplace. Yeah. You have multiple ways to choose to send your stuff. If you get a rap for, you know, confiscating products or sending them back, especially time-dependent stuff, it couldn't be a worse look for your company. Mm -hmm. So I would guess that the rest of them would line up the same way. And I think it's a... You know, I think I think it's I, like I said earlier, I think it's an indication that not everyone is fully on board with this situation as it stands right now. And it's hard to figure out who's responsible. Like they're saying, hey, we're not a law enforcement agency. We're, we're like, geez, man, we, we got to keep track of all this stuff. We got to open every package. Right. Think about it. How are you supposed to know? What are you going to do? It's a it's a major headache in that sense. Now, I get it if there's a. I'm sure it happens all the time. They get mysterious packages, things they think might actually be dangerous. Dangerous in the immediate sense, not in the like espionage mm -hmm. long-term yeah. Trump sense, but like in the immediate sense, dangerous. And they got they got enough work on their plate to try to sift through that stuff. Same with the postal service. So they're just like, hey, we, we can't be responsible for this one as well. And I think that's reasonable. We'll see what happens with the lawsuit. We'll keep, we'll keep people updated on it. But uh, that's where it stands at the moment. So maybe you were thinking one thing about FedEx, and it turns out to be the other. In that yesterday, we're saying FedEx refusing to move these packages, taking the heat for it, and now flipping the script and saying, hey, it ain't us. We don't even want to do this. Not only do we not want to do this, but we're going to sue the U.S. on behalf of it. Mm-hmm. 
Now, speaking of the global marketplace, global smartphone marketplace, I got this article here, India tops the world for smartphone data usage. So we talked about it here on the show before how a big piece of our viewership here in this channel on Box Therapy uh, is, a, is a coming from India. And it turns out that people in India are using a tremendous amount of mobile data for their uh, smartphone consumption as opposed to like Wi-Fi or something like that. So the highest average monthly mobile data usage per smartphone in the, in the group polled there uh, is India with 9.8 gigabytes per user. And this is a report from mobile networking and telecommunications company Ericsson. They do a yearly report on this apparently. And this, this of course showcases how, just how prominent the, the Indian market is for, smart, for smartphone consumption on the smartphone front of like which smartphone they choose to buy and the various products available to them. But then also once, once a smartphone is in hand, the enthusiasm to, towards actually using it, going online, watching video and so forth. And having been to India myself, I also recognize that the kind of more traditional network infrastructure that a North American person might have, like a Wi-Fi being available at all these various locations at home and things like this is not necessarily something that maps identically in India. In many cases, the smartphone is the first entry point onto the web via the towers that exist, the, uh, the LTE connection or edge connection. Now, surprisingly, uh, mentioning LTE, apparently Ericsson states via this report that a lot of India doesn't even have LTE yet. And they claim that LTE will be available to more than 80% of users by 2024. And they think when that change takes place, that that same 9.8 gigabyte consumption could go up to 18 gigs per smartphone strictly over the cellular network. So that's a significant amount of data. It's a lot of YouTube. It's a lot of streaming. It's a lot of music. It's a lot of stuff. I don't know. Do you? How much data are you using currently? Do you know? Well, gosh, I don't know. I think I think my gig is like my uh, cap is like five gigs. Five gigs. I mean, I'm pretty close five. to work here, so I mean, I don't use a lot of gigs. Yeah, well. and. Yeah, so you're three. Kirk's saying he's three gigs. Will's got five gig cap. Uh, I recently upgraded mine, but I have a number of lines on mine, so it's I haven't really broke out how much I use personally. It's probably somewhere in the five gig territory too. But like you said, if I'm here at home, I'm flipping to Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi, yeah. It's going to be faster anyways most of the time, and uh, it's just happening automatically. I don't even think about it. And then a lot of the also, I should mention just different devices. My, my smartphone is not my exclusive computing device. So I jump on here, right. stream on t, uh, TV and various other places. So it's kind of distributed amongst different devices. If all my data usage was on one device, I could see that number going up substantially. So anyhow, uh, despite the rapid growth in LTE contracts, half the users in India are currently still on Edge and GSM. Whoa. Which is which is pretty wild, right? Half the Edge. users. Now, I guess our Indian audience here can tell us whatever they're dealing with uh, in terms of 
connection speed, but imagine it was the only connection you had and it happened to be Edge or GSM. That, that, that's a, that'd be a scary situation, obviously. But I have to say I'm not surprised by this figure for all those reasons that I just mentioned. Apparently, uh, another issue listed in this same article here, this is via Android Police, is that there's, there's something else plaguing the Indian market, which is uh, smartphone theft. Apparently, there's no IMEI database in place where victims can have their phone's identifiers blacklisted. We have those things in place in other markets, and it's common practice elsewhere. But until that happens, it's, it's really easy for someone to steal a smartphone, pop a SIM in, and just carry on, carry on using it. Now, Will's got an article here stating how India's mobile data is cheapest globally as well. So... There's this cool infograph here stating that India is 0 0.02 cents. What is that? Per per gigabyte? Get out of yeah, here. Yeah, per gig. No. Yeah. Really? No, 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 no. The gig is over there. Wait a second. Cost of one gigabyte of data? Two, two cents? That's incredible. If that's true, that's incredible. Anyway, this particular infographic is stating that's the case. In the U.S., that same gigabyte, $12.37. I guess this is against an average, global average, falling at 8.5. The source here is cable.co.uk. Now, of course, data prices are going to have to be adjusted for one gigabyte of data costs 26 cents in India. Interesting. I don't understand. There's some conflicting numbers on this particular report. It's timesofindia.com, indiatimes.com. That's where we're reading this from. So you can check it out for yourself. But obviously... Oh, I see. That's lowest cost versus average cost. So some people pay more depending on the market. But keep in mind, these things have to be adjusted for the local markets because otherwise they're not going to be affordable at all if you have to adjust for, for the income level of these various different places and so on and so forth. But it is interesting to see that list, see US, the, the U.S. cost of data so much higher than in India. Uh, interesting stuff. But anyhow, for the time being, lots of data being utilized in India, cheap data relative to the global market. And it's expected to increase as those connections get faster and they move to LTE. Uh, and I think it's all good news, especially if you happen to be a viewer here. You move to LTE all of a sudden, you know, you, you're uh, trying to stream this show here on YouTube. Nightmare right now. GSM 144p. We're pixels. Yeah, we're just, you can't even see this right now, yeah. if that's the case. So, LTE for all. There we go. Uh, there's this weird one here. Apple, they explored building a camera into the Apple Watch, the Apple Watch band. And there's like this patent that has recently emerged about like an early drawing of how the strap would turn into a camera on the watch itself it's on it honestly looks terrible and weird and it's nothing against apple everyone's always worried that i'm just hate i'm hating on anything apple does it's just a patent they may have never intended on doing it they may have just like hey let's it happens all the time you patent something in just in case you end up going down that route there have been other smart watches with cameras in them the one of the galaxy watches early ones i, I can gear. remember was it an early gear had a camera in it i can remember playing around with cameras on smartwatches in the early days, it was a thing that people thought would be cool. Getting back to Dick Tracy from earlier, it's like, oh, that could be sick. But for yeah, there it was, the Gear 2, little camera on the side of the unit. 
kind of hidden. Seems like a cool idea, but they're never very good. And I guess I never wore these watches long enough to truly utilize them, but it's been a thing that's been experimented with, so you can understand why Apple would patent such a thing. Now, one of the issues with the cameras that existed, uh, the implementation on that gear device was it, the point of view was determined by the location of the watch. And so you couldn't, it would be hard to frame something up like that. So in Apple's patent, the strap extends around the device you lift it up and it's like a movable lens can you imagine them i can't i can just never see a product like this actually existing in real life but it didn't it didn't stop them from filing the patent and like i said earlier they're not the only ones that thought of the idea of sticking a camera into a watch it does it does bring into bring into question some like really weird some really weird stuff about i remember samsung taking heat for having this secret camera on their watch for for like people snapping photos of others unknowingly that like you wouldn't expect that camera to be there on the watch and it wasn't really obvious that it was there like a spy camera sort of so some people were, were a bit uncomfortable with that and you can imagine the same thing in apple's case one thing about smartphones is you are pretty certain when the camera's being pointed at you and in other words it would be hard to record you or harder to record you secretly but Having the watch in the, in the, or sorry, having the camera in the watch, you could imagine, you could, I could be recording you right now. Well, you don't know anything. Mm -hmm. You know, even just get the audio on there. The audio, yeah. You know, and then I use it against you in the future. Yeah, as you do. As I would, of course. It's necessary. So anyway, kind of a weird little finding there. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but Apple is prepared. They have the patent in the event that things change and, and your strap becomes a camera. Meet the all-electric Ford Mustang that's more powerful than the original. This is cool, man. Wait till you see this, okay? This is a company called Charge Cars. And uh, the article I found here is on Rob Report. This company is taking a classic 1964 Mustang and electrifying it, turning it into a kind of Tesla that, in my opinion, looks a lot cooler than a Tesla. Hit a little volume on that there, Will, that video right there. Give it a little unmute on the video itself. It's got a mute on it. Look at this, okay? Tell me this thing doesn't look cool. Unbelievable. So it's got the classic looks, but modernized, futuristic. The rear headlights kind of like out of, uh, what was that TV show? Knight Rider. It's got a Knight Rider vibe to it. And wait till you see this dude pull out right here. Like, that ain't a Tesla, you see? That's old and new combined. And little does anybody need to know, there's no gasoline. There's no combustion under the hood, Well, Just some big batteries. New future, old future, combined. It's, it's silent. Silent. Case, right? No growl. That, some people might hold that against it because you get a car like that. Like some of the purists are going to be upset. They're, they're hoping for the growl. And that, that doesn't have any growl. But anyway, this is a British startup. And they're not going to make many of these. They're going to be crazy expensive. It's going to have the equivalent of 536 horsepower. The cost is going to be around $380,000. It's <laughs> a lot. A couple of dollars. But... Look at that thing, Kirk. Come on, exactly. Don't even tell me that doesn't look cooler than a Tesla. 
That looks way cooler than a Tesla. Now, I get it. It's a two-door. It's not practical. It's based on a car from 1964. So we're not talking about practicality. That's for certain. Uh, 800 pound-feet of torque. They, uh, they got rid of, of course, the V8 motor. It isn't in there anymore. It's going to go 0 to 62 in 3.99 seconds. That's a bit disappointing, surprisingly, because the Tesla does it in light speed, basically. So it isn't actually going to beat it off the line, even though it looks like it should. But for me, that's actually kind of easy to understand because you're retrofitting an old design. So who knows about aerodynamics? And I'm sure there's way too much steel in this construction. I know the Model S, for example, is aluminum. Who knows the reason exactly why? Or maybe they just can't deliver the power in the same way Tesla can. They're a, a lower volume production facility. But that ain't what this thing's about. This is about the look. You, 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 the old and new. Now, granted, it's a small company. Obviously, I think they, what was the number they said they were going to make? Can you find it in the article there? 499. 499 of them. So you got to be kind of a collector or something. This isn't an everyday driver. You, if anything goes wrong with it, what are you doing? Like you're contacting these guys in the UK. And so you got to, got to get your practical head out of it. And you got to just say, I want this, I just want this crazy thing. And then maybe you can get it like that. But it's super expensive and low volume. But nonetheless, maybe it's an indication that uh, electric cars don't need to look the way they currently do. Maybe the future is the past, Will. You see that? The retro future? Hey, man. <laughs> Does what... In a way, can't you see this being more futuristic than our current perception of futuristic? Like, in a way, right? In a kind of Blade Runner, Mad Max, I don't know, combination world. Yeah. Everything goes back eventually, doesn't it? it? Does. You go forward, then you go back. It reminds me of, like, these futuristic movies where, like, the main character has, like, a, a car that's, like, back in, like, the 50s or that's 70s right. or something. That's like right. a motorcycle. Remember one time, actually, you weren't here for this. We were having a party here, and we had Heavy Metal, the animation, animated movie. Oh, yeah. Heavy Metal. I, yeah. I saw it here. Oh, okay. You saw yeah. we had it on. And and the guy, the main character, he's got this cab, that like this New York City cab that looks really old, but it has all these futuristic aspects to it. So it, there is something strange when you see those things merged together that it, it kind of, uh, there's something compelling about it. Mm. The old and the new. What's new? What's old is new again. I just really like the look of that thing. Anyhow. All right, this is the last one for me, Will. There's this thing called Cameo, and they recently raised $50 million. And the reason I'm bringing it up, I mean, they're, they're in the news for raising all this cash, but the reason I'm bringing it up is because they approached me a while ago to go on this site and, like, uh, become part of the the... Uh, inventory of celebrities. This could be you. Yeah, that could be me. To and and <laughs> the way that this thing works, okay, is you go on this site, you list you list yourself there, and you list your price for giving a person a personalized shout out. Okay, now here, this Snoop Dogg is on there. I think he's an investor in the company as well. Th this company. Okay, you played a clip. So it's basically what you it's basically what you expect it to be. It's a lot of hey Tina, it's your birthday, and you know, 
I'm Snoop Dogg or whatever celebrity it is. Actually, Jack, didn't you do this? You bought one. Do you remember which one you bought? Jack bought some ra random bachelor, a random bachelor on there to, and what was it, 50 bucks or 100? 40 bucks. <laughs> he got a shout out for 40 bucks. Apparently Snoop Dogg can go up to like three grand depending on what you're, you're going for. Uh, each celebrity sets their, I just celebrity, I don't like the term, I don't know. They're celebrities, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say they're not celebrities, but... Uh, anyhow, you set your own price. You do these shout outs and uh, they start at like five bucks up to 3000 And people are using them like a card, like how you used to buy a paper card for someone in the old days, like Hallmark mm. or whatever. Instead, will you do this for your friend on their birthday or, or, or your wife or whatever you do? And you find a celebrity and you get them to say your thing. Now, the problem with it is if you go click on the site, just go to the actual Cameo site. Right there, yeah. It uh, browse their browse the talent, if you don't mind. There, will browse the talent. So when they asked me to go on this site once upon a time, I was like, "Let me check this out. Whatever, I'll I'll click on it." They're like people. They said people were asking for me, which they probably say to everyone. But I went on the site and I was like, "Man, I don't know. There's something that just I can't see myself doing this." If you click on any one of these pages, it's just. A laundry list. It's just a. It's just a a, a long inventory of shoutouts, and they're just subbing in the next person's name. And you imagine this person sitting there in an afternoon, just doing all these shoutouts for whatever money it is that they're that they're asking for. And something just fell off about it for me. Like Chris Harrison is five hundred and fifty bucks. Click on that for a second. That's five hundred and fifty bucks. Click on. <laughs> Click on one of these. Give it a little volume here, Will. And so, okay, pause it there, Will. Pause it there. They, the person is trying their best, right? The person doing the shout out to, to, to personalize it, right? Because they're getting paid and he's getting paid $550 for this shout out. And he's got this story in front of him. He's got the, the event that's being commemorated and he knows it's important that he uh, puts out the right emotion, tries his best. And you end up with this uh, this weird thing where he's kind of acting like he knows you, but he doesn't. And it's just a very awkward exchange, the whole package deal. And here, I mean, it's like it's not even presentable. He's just like... It's not presentable at all. <laughs> it's in the washroom. Yeah, it's just it, 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 someone in a closet somewhere. It's yeah. not... It doesn't look very good. Click on one of these. Go ahead. Try another oh, one. Man. So pause this for a minute. So many times what ends up happening is the person will send a script that they want the celebrity to, to read. And then the person just ends up reading this thing. 
look at this. He's got 4.9 stars, 422 reviews. So he's obviously doing a lot of these. Typically responds in three hours and 150 bucks. That's what you get. Hmm. Nothing against. Look, man, nothing against anybody. You got to. You got to make your bucks out here, like in this in this game, in this world. But I'm just saying, like, for me, there's something that feels really uncomfortable about it. But according to uh, Silicon Valley, that's not the case. No one feels uncomfortable about it. They just raised 50 million bucks, which would would uh, put the valuation of the company somewhere around 300, 300 million dollars, something like that, hmm. which is kind of a crazy concept. Apparently, their roster is 15,000 celebrities. And their capital currently with this new round of, of funding brings them to around 65 million in capital. They claim they, they have plans to revamp the mobile app, implement purchasing features, and then put a focus on the international markets. So like getting celebrities that aren't just North American based. There's athletes on there, there's movie stars, musicians, and so forth, but the whole thing just makes me feel very uncomfortable. I don't know why, uh, especially when I was approached personally. I was like, I can't see myself, can't see myself doing that. There you go. See, click on click on Kadri if you want. Give it a shot. It's uh, <laughs> he's just in his car. <laughs> Yeah, what can I say? I don't know. Maybe it's just, maybe I need to lighten up. Maybe it's just a bit of fun. Maybe I need to lighten up. But there is a, there is certainly a threshold to it. Like, take Kadri's page right here. He's got five posts, and they're all a bit different. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But, like, when you get to the person who's really a power user, and it's, like, 50 posts in the same corner of their house, it's kind of like, whoa, what is that afternoon looking like? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying, man? You just woke up. That's completely dark. Yeah, it's rough. It's a rough. It's a rough situation. But anyway, everybody's got to do what you got to do. What you got to do. And obviously, people are buying these things because Cameo they share in the transaction. They get 25 percent of the purchase, and they're obviously doing well. They're raising money here, so there's there's people are into it. Maybe it's some futuristic social media thing in which we all where everyone's getting. All their favorite celebrities to say whatever they want. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's all it is. Mm. Anyway, well, uh, you have, you got a question for us today? Yeah. A heavy hitter. What a time to be alive! I almost missed it. This yeah. guy just reminded me with the subject line. I almost missed it, but I could have used it right there. Cameo just raised fifty million for celebrities to say what you want. What a time to be alive! Mm -hmm. There you go. You got it in. So he doesn't have a name, but uh, shout out to the guy who. Uh, made the question. Curious is uh, is Lou came up with this catchphrase or is quoting something? You know what's weird is I didn't even think about it when I when I said it. I thought it was just a really well known phrase. What a time to be alive! I didn't mm. even think twice about it because it was like in my brain. I guess I've been saying it for a long time. But somebody, I saw a comment along these lines, and so I looked it up. It actually was a Drake song, Drake and Future song. Oh, yeah. oh okay. But and it was from The Simpsons before that. So it's you can play. You should play the clip. I don't know if it's gonna get demonetized. Simpsons would be like heavy, heavy stuff. So you should probably, if you play the Simpsons clip, you should probably put the the uh, translucence on. But the guy goes into a convenience store, uh, Hans Molman, I think. Do you remember this clip, Jack? Oh, that's not Hans Molman. Who is that? That's the old man. Moon pie. 
Okay, the old man. Yeah, you can just play it, but, but, but yeah, do it like that. So it's a meme. It's definitely a meme, but this only has like 600,000 views. It's not a huge meme. It's not like a super well-known meme. And then Drake makes the song with the same with the same thing. Now, that's what'll come up if you Google What a Time to Be Alive. It was a song that came out in 2015, uh, Drake and Future. If you go to the Wikipedia, that's what comes up as well. So it's not really well-established beyond those two circumstances in music as well as in, I mean, you could go, like, like I said, there's a couple of other songs by that name, but they're even more recent, 2018 and 2019, two albums that had that on there, that, that word, that name. And then there's the reference in The Simpsons. So I don't know how it entered my brain so deeply as a thing that I perceived everyone to know or have heard. Because I feel like I've been saying that for years. Oh, just it's just sunny outside. I'll say, what a time to be alive. Yeah, I've been saying it for a long time. And funny enough, like I remember the Simpsons clip, but it wasn't meaningful to me. Moon pie, what a time to be. He's in the convenience store. He sees the moon pie and we, he's sweating. <laughs> sure. So do you think that, that I saw that clip at one time and just embedded itself deeply? Because the Drake song, I totally didn't even, I don't even think I've ever heard it from 2015. I only look when I looked it up, I found it on Google. That's the only that's when it happened. Okay, here we go. Know your meme from 2014. Know your meme just says it's from the Simpsons. That's it. But this this was added 5 years ago. Catchphrase Origin Season 9 Episode 17 The Simpsons. Originally aired in 1998. So 1998, I'm uh 13 years old. I guess I would have been in prime time to ha be embedded with a time to be alive meme at 13 years old. I probably was watching that. But on YouTube, at this when it, when it hit Know Your Meme, it only had 245,000 views. So definitely not a huge huge meme in terms of in terms of uh, you know the meme uh, the meme Olympics. This is not definitely not a gold medalist. And you can see search volume on Google Trends peaked in 2015. Oh, when the song came out. And it's flatlined ever since. So maybe we can get it back up with this uh, show right here. Ladies and gentlemen, on that note, what a time to be alive. You can cut it. <laughs>